around the world, the Spirit is moving and a voice is being heard. Welcome to the Voice of Evangelism with David Langford. You can write to the Voice of Evangelism at P.O. Box 502, Kayser, North Carolina, 28020. We'll give you that address again at the close of today's broadcast. But here now is David Langford. Hello, friends. Pastor David Langford here again today. We'd like to welcome you to this edition of the Voice of Evangelism International Ministries. Today is Monday, April the 5th. 2021. I pray that you celebrated the resurrection of our risen Lord and Savior Christ Jesus. We do not celebrate Easter. Easter is a pagan holiday. What we celebrate is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's why we res we, we rejoice in the resurrection because he rose from the dead, and thus assures our salvation and in the end, our resurrection at his second advent. Amen. Easter, as I said, is a, a pagan holiday, and we see a lot of bunny rabbits, and we see a lot of chocolate candy and all sorts of other things of that nature. But we don't celebrate the, the paganistic part of that. Uh, when I was pastoring, I always admonished people who were going to be on the pulpit with me on Sunday mornings. Uh, if they were leading music or singing a, a special or whatever, don't talk about Easter. Don't mention the word Easter whatsoever. It's not about that. It is about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I know the word Easter, you may not know this, the word Easter is found in the Bible. Yes, it is found in the Bible in Acts chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. Now, about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. They're celebrating, the church is celebrating Passover, unleavened bread, and then, of course, the resurrection of Christ. Verse 4, and when he had apprehended him, Herod had apprehended Peter, he put him in prison, delivered him to four quadrants of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Prayer was made. Simply put, intercession was made for the man of God. And, of course, the Scriptures here says it was be after Easter or after the resurrection Sunday of Christ that Herod would have Peter the apostle killed, beheaded. But, of course, if you'll read on in the story, an angel comes in the prison, sets Peter free, broke the chains, the shackles. He smote him to awaken him. They both walked out, and when they got to the prison doors, they opened at the angel's accord. There were your first electric doors, if you've ever wondered where they came from. God is the great inventor. Of all things, amen. So I hope and I pray that you did celebrate 
the risen Savior Christ our Lord and didn't get into the bunny rabbits and hiding Easter eggs. But we do know Christ is alive and Christ is well. How do we know? How can we be so certain? Well, he lives in our hearts. Because he lives in our hearts, we know he is real. I want to play a very upbeat song today by Ponder, Sykes, and Wright. Ponder, Sykes, and Wright, the song is entitled Higher Ground. And I pray today the Lord will bring you to higher ground. Amen. Here's my buddy David Ponder and Michael Sykes. They hate a Ponder, Sykes, and Wright. Plant my feet on higher ground. That's what should be the heart and the, the desire of all of us, that our, plant, our feet 
be planted on higher ground. I do want to make mention today of the TV ministry, Direct Television, Channel 376, Dish Network, Channel 267. That's each Tuesday night at 10 p.m., Saturday evenings at 3 p.m. That is CTN, Christian Television Network, Direct Television, Channel 376, Dish Network, Channel 267. We're also praying about the Word Network. There's a large Christian television network. It's on a plethora of cable networks throughout the U.S. And so we're really praying about that. We ask you to pray with us for that. At the end of the day, it's all about winning souls. There's nothing more important than winning souls. That was why Jesus died, to pay sin's debt in its entirety, that men might be redeemed, washed in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. This heresy, these fallacies about prosperity and unbelievable blessings where you ride around in Mercedes Benz and you have your yacht and your big mansion and all of these things, I believe in the blessings of God. I truly believe in the blessings of God, but that's not the message. The message is the cross and the vicarious work and the efficacious work, the desired will of God was wrought and men were able now to be redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. I was reading this morning in Acts chapter 12, excuse me, Acts chapter 4, verse 12, and uh, Peter said, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That is a double negative. Neither is negative. Neither is there salvation in any other. There is none. None is another negative, double negative. None other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That is to put the greatest emphasis with those double negatives in the Greek, the greatest emphasis, and that salvation can be found in none other thing but Jesus Christ. Regrettably, people don't search the scriptures, but that was the reason God inspired that phrase, that verse, with double negatives. You can't find salvation in anything but in Christ alone, period. You say, well, I was taught different. That's why you were taught wrong. See, and when when you get into the depth and the breadth of God's word, you will soon find yourself contrary to your organization, to your denomination, because you're seeing the truth. God has the word and the Holy Spirit to get to us the truth. Those are the two means, the two modes, and the two methods is the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God. Because people will say, well, I'm not sure about that verse. I'm not certain I understand that verse. That's where the Holy Spirit comes in. He illuminates the mind. He illuminates the comprehension. Luke 24, 45, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. See, 
So you say in your, in your human reasoning, you're not getting it. But when the Spirit of God broods over that word and broods over you, then you get it. You get it. And thus we should pray earnestly that we can get to the deeper things of God. So again, Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Neither and the word none. Double negatives. Clearly stating, you can't find salvation in anyone or anything except Jesus. That scripture sums it up for me as a believer. We left off last Tuesday speaking to you from Amos chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and not light. As if a man did flee from a lion, and a bear met him, or went into the house, and leaned his hand on the wall, and the serpent bit him. Shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light, even very dark, and no brightness in it? The second advent, the second coming of Christ, will be at a, a, a divine appointed time. Christ will mete out punishment concerning the wicked. Then he will follow that up and establish his earthly kingdom. You can read it in Matthew 24, verse 29. The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. You'll find it again in Peter's great Pentecostal message on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verse 19. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire, vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and notable day of the Lord come. I want you to understand the synchronicity of the word of God and how it is line upon line, precept upon precept. So there it is in Matthew 24, 29, 30, 31. Acts chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, and then Revelation 6 and 12. And I beheld when it opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. There is no difference in any of these teachings in Matthew, Acts, and Revelation. They are all identical. They are all the same. You've been told they're different, but they're not. They're not. Now, when Amos says, as if a man did flee from a lion and a bear met him, or he went into the house, leaned his hand on the wall, and a serpent bit him. What exactly does that mean? This man, this man is defined scripturally as someone who was destined to be judged, to die in his sins because of sin and rebellion against the Almighty God. This passage tells us plainly 
for the sinner. There is no escaping the wrath and the judgment of God for the wicked. You must be born again. All wicked men will be judged and eternally damned to hell without repentance and forgiveness through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I, I reminded the Lord this morning as I was in prayer, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I said, God, I confess every sin, every bad thought, every bad feeling, every bad emotion, whatever, whatever in me that is wrong, I confess it because I want my life to be in alignment with you so that when this day does come, I'll be clean. Not of my works, but what he did on the cross to set me free. Every person, I'm going to make a statement here. You may say that's crass, that's hard, that's brutal. Some say it's being brutally honest. Everyone that rejects the grace of God will be eternally lost. I don't care who you are, what your stature might be in life. You may be the CEO and president of one of the greatest corporations in the world. If you reject the grace of God, you will be forever lost without God. Without Christ, everyone's doom and damnation is eternally sealed. Now, I know you're not going to hear preachers preach a statement of that magnitude, damnation. You're not going to hear that in the modern pulpit. That's offensive. That's ugly. That's heinous, they say. And we are friendly seeker churches, so we don't say anything to disrupt anything or anyone. I keep thinking about Mark 8, 36, 37. What should it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his own soul? What, what is... So of, of, of such value, what is of such value that you say, I'd rather have that than have Jesus? See, that's the deception. And every hireling out there that will not preach repentance, justification by faith in what Jesus did on the cross, we're justified because of what Jesus did. That's what Martin Luther came to understand. He wrote his 95 Theses. And he put it on the, 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 the door of the church in Germany and protested the Catholic doctrine. He got a revelation of Romans 5 and 1. Man is justified by faith. Again, works, efforts, whatever you think you're doing, whatever you think you have done has saved you. That cannot justify you. Your justification is in what Jesus did. The Catholic Church and all these little Protestant daughters running around here are enamored with the works. Works never saved anyone. 
works are just an identification that you are a blood-bought, born-again child of God. You pay your tithes because you are saved. You read your Bible because you are saved. You fast. You communicate with God. Why? Because you are saved. Let me tell you, as a sinner, I never gave in tithes. I never gave an offering. I never prayed. I never fasted. You know why? I was a sinner. Sinners don't do that because that's the fruit of Christ's spirit in your life. Nobody has to tell me to pray. Nobody has to tell me to fast. Nobody has to tell me to read my Bible. I do those things because I love God. I was reminiscing in prayer just the other morning, thinking about the mercy, the grace of God, when God should have let me go, should have let me been damned, should have let me be destroyed. My rebellion, my sin was enormous. But God was merciful. God was gracious. And I, and I knew if I died, I was going to hell. I knew that. I'd be uh, drunk, high, Go to bed. God, please don't come tonight because I believed in a pre-trib rapture. Don't come tonight while I'm lost. But I had a God awareness. God was pricking my conscience. God's trying to prick many of you. He's trying to prick your conscience. He's trying to pierce the consciousness of your soul and make you aware you need Jesus as a Savior. You can't do this without him. And we're told in Romans chapter 14, verse 11, it is written as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow unto me, every tongue shall confess unto God. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself unto God. Every one of us shall give account of himself unto God. We're going to give account of our lives. And the account will be so accurate, so meticulous, you will not believe how accurate the account will be. Now, I know we, we live in a world where accounting is meaningless. Look at our government, just deficit spending month after month, year after year. And since I was a little boy and could hear and understand every politician, every congressman, every senator, I'm going to go to Washington and I'm going to cut taxes. They've all lied to us. We've all been lied to. But they're going to give an account. They're going to give an account. Every one of us, it is written. It is written. It's not hyperbole. It's just not some kind of rhetorical jargon. It is written, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess unto God. And there'll be those who say, I'm not confessing it. You won't have any recourse because of the very power and presence of God. It will demand your confession. Now you think about that. There will be people who in their mind say, I'm not going to bow a knee. I'm not going to repent. I'm not going to confess. But when they get into his presence, his presence will demand every knee to bow and every tongue 
shall confess, whether they want to or not. It has nothing to do with it. The power, the presence of God will demand repentance and confession, but it is too late. All you're doing is admitting to the crime, admitting to the sin. But at that point in time, there'll be no justification. There'll be no reconciliation. There'll be no time for repentance. It's just an admission. I am guilty of the sin. I am guilty of the iniquity. I'm guilty of the evil. I'm guilty of all of these things because I would not repent. And, and that's why it is so important to understand the opportunity of repentance. Every, every time, every day, we have a chance to reconcile the account book with God. We, we need to do that. Uh, now, Romans 14, 11, and 12, it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow unto me, every tongue shall confess unto God. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself unto God. That is a quotation from Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah 45 and 23, I have sworn by myself, the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return that unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear or confess. Surely shall one say, In the Lord have I righteousness and strength. Even to him shall men come, and all that are incensed against him shall be ashamed. In other words, you're going to have those who are not ashamed because they put their faith and their trust in Jesus. There'll be those who are ashamed because they had the same opportunity, but they didn't do so. They chose to live and abide in sin. Sin is a choice. We, are, we have the greatest freedom. Mankind has the greatest freedom that's ever been because we have choices. We all have the ability to make choices every day. That's why God says you're going to give an account because you have made choices. Now, you're going to be judged according to those choices, whether they be good or whether they be evil choices. What was the, what was the great rally cry from Joshua, Joshua 24, 15? Choose you this day whom you shall serve. But as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. God unctionized Joshua, and Joshua says, you're going to make a decision today. I preached a message years ago. The moment of decision. There comes a moment in your life. There comes a divine encounter with God, and you will have to make a decision. Now, somebody like me, I, I had multiple opportunities to make decisions. But God ultimately came to me, while in a bar and said, if you don't repent tonight, I'm never going to deal with you again. I'm done with you. I, I knew it was time. I was. You talk about skating on thin ice. God brought me to a decision. Yes or no. Are you going to come with me or stay in the sin? I chose to come with God. I made a choice. Every one of you listening today you will make a choice in your life regarding Christ. I will either serve him, commit my ways to him, trust in him, 
worship him, stand with him, or I will reject him, I will spurn him, I will refuse him and go my own way. It is sad when one loses their way. I'd lost my way. But see, there was always that presence. It, it was just the presence of God in my heart, in my mind, made me aware of who he was. You might say kept a, a measure of a hold, a possession of me. Why? Because he had called me. The gifts, the calling of God are without repentance. Romans eleven twenty nine. When God calls anyone in men, into ministry, he doesn't repent of it. Now, there are a lot of people that call themselves, and they failed because of that. But those whom God has truly called, if they submit to that call, they don't fail. They only succeed because they are serving the King of kings and Lord of lords in the capacity of ministry. And if God calls, then God must provide. God cannot call you and not provide. God can provide for you and never call you. But God, when he calls you, he must provide the means to carry out the call on one's life. This nation keeps going in the wrong direction. Trump's gone. I said Donald Trump is gone. I, I have great sorrow in my heart for those who keep holding on to these false prophets. You, the Bible says deception is going to prevail in the end. Deception will prevail. Instead of coming clean, making the admission, I, I was wrong. I, I missed God. What, what is wrong in admitting I missed it? Well, the reason they can't afford to admit it is because of their pride and their arrogancy. And as I said, I, I willed, I wanted Donald Trump to win, but it didn't happen. And if you heard the video with me and Daryl Turner, you watched it. He said God told him Trump wouldn't win. And what he was saying was against the grain of everyone. But that God would judge us through the next administration. If you haven't seen that series of videos between me and Brother Daryl Turner, you need to watch those. Don't let the world mislead you. I, you know, that's why I've said many times, I'm careful when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit that I don't hang on God. My garbage, my trash, my lies, my hypocrisy, my deception, I don't attach that to the living God of Abraham. Now, when, when you keep denying the truth, this is how one falls into deception. You do not want to fall 
and the, the power of deception. Remember 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, let no man deceive you by any means. I'm not sitting here declaring these men blatantly and intentionally went out to deceive you. But when you say something that's not correct, you, you need to correct it. You need to fix it. You, now you got this other guy here prophesying. There are two Bidens in the White House. These people, I'm telling you, this, this is why we have confusion, all this hyperbole, all this rhetorical jargon in the church, in the body of Christ, and people flounder after that stuff. I believe some of these prophets were listening to QAnon, not the Holy Spirit. You, you listen to enough stuff, you'll start dreaming about it. You'll start thinking about it. It becomes a part of who you are. That's why we call it an obsession. You become obsessed with it. You want to, be, you want to have an obsession, but you want to have it in Jesus. You want to be obsessed with Christ. We're told clearly here in the scriptures, the day of the Lord is a day of darkness. Now you say, that's, how can that be? God is light. In him is no darkness. The darkness is because of the sin. And what we're being told from the prophets is that Christ will come in a dark hour. Do, do you see that? It will be a day of darkness when Christ returns. The darkness will be very great, very powerful. Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hasteth greatly, even the voice of the day of the Lord. The mighty man shall cry there bitterly. Why is he crying bitterly? Because it is the day of God's wrath. That day is a day of wrath a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness or devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. The coming of the Lord will be at a time physically in the earth, in the cosmos, in the universe, it'll be dark. It'll be dark. But I still hold to Exodus 10, 23, 24, 25. Even though the darkness was so dark it could be felt, there was light in all the dwellings of Israel. This is why Amos there in Amos 5, 18 through 20, he said, to what end is it for you? What will be your end in that day? What day? The day of the Lord is darkness. That's Amos 5, 18 and 20. The day of the Lord is darkness and not light. You say that's contradictory. No, it's not. You have to understand. It will be physically dark. It will be spiritually dark when Christ returns to the earth. But in him is no darkness. He will come. His coming will be so divine and so bright it destroys the Antichrist. 2 Thessalonians 2.8. Then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. 
So you're going to have literal physical darkness in the cosmos, and you're going to have spiritual darkness throughout the land. But I believe in all the lamps, the vessels of God, there will be light. There will be light. That's the great parable there in Matthew 25. At midnight, there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, and all the virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for ours is gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell, and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgin, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. But he answered and said, I know you not watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. The foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil. Not so, they said. The foolish were not ready, the wise were ready. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. This is an analogy. They were all purported virgins. You can read all of this in Matthew chapter 25. They were all purported virgins. They all seemingly had the same goal, motivation, to go out and meet the bridegroom. That's why he starts there in verse 1. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And, of course, Christ says you had five of them that were wise, and then you have five of them that were foolish. See? They took their lamps. They went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. Now, there's always been much debate. What does the oil symbolize? It could symbolize the Holy Spirit without a doubt. We take anointing oil, we place it on people's heads. Uh, in John chapter 12, when Mary broke the alabaster box and she anointed Jesus, washed his feet, the Bible says that the odor of the ointment filled the air, a type of the Holy Spirit, the aroma, the odor, the the, the, the beautiful smell. It was a, the Bible says it was a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly. This was expensive. And of course, Judas, being the thief that he was, <laughs> he said, we, we could have sold this for 300 pence. Jesus said, he, well, Judah says, you could, we, we could have given this to the poor. He said, the poor you have with you always, but you don't always have me here. You see, Judah's eyes was on money. That's why I'm so appalled at the begging, the imploring, the beseeching for money. 
It, it, it's a, it puts a bad taste in my mouth. I, I refuse to be a part of that. I, 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 I live, I work, I minister in the kingdom of God and in ministry and the word. And so there are a lot of people out there that say they're of God, but they're habitually hammering you for money. That's all it's about, money. Sad, it's so tragic. I've heard people say, the Lord wants everybody to be rich. Well, then Jesus lied to us. He said, for the poor always you have with you, but me you have not always. John 12, verse 8. You're not always going to have me. What she's doing, Mary, is so precious, so godly because it was so costly. See, it was a great sacrifice that she gave the costly ointment, the spikenard. The apothecaries would make the perfumed oils and ointments. And that's, I was reading the other day, they brought a hundred pound to prepare the body of Christ. A hundred pounds of, of, oils and perfumes, things to prepare the body of Christ for his burial. That's, 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 a, lot of, that's, a, that's a lot of perfume, a lot of oil, a lot of spike, or a lot of different things. But it was Jesus, and Jesus always deserves the very best. Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. John 19 39, and there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. That's how much they were giving to prepare the body of Christ and burial. hundred pounds. No sacrifice is ever too great for Jesus. Let me tell you something about Jesus. I had a sinner man tell me this one time. He said, God will be a debtor to no man. That's because the sinner man said, I pay my tithes every week. He said, I know God blesses me. He said, I don't live right. I know I don't live right. I, I chase women, I drink liquor, and I gamble profusely, and I snort coke. He said, but I'm not a fool. He said, God has blessed my business because I tithe. He understood better than some Christians. He said, God will be a debtor to no man. I never forgot that statement because it is so accurate. God will not owe you anything. Jesus was a type, excuse me, the Samaritan was a type of Christ when he picked up the man's body on the side of the road left for dead. He took him to the innkeeper. He said, keep him. <clears throat> Here's two pence. When I come back, if I owe you any more, I will pay you for that. See, Christ always reconciles his account. He won't owe any man anything. But when, he, the, when the good Samaritan, which was a type of Jesus, left that beaten, 
marred and mutilated body of that man at the innkeeper, you might say motel, hotel. He said, when I come again, I will repay you anything else that, I, that, that he's run up the cost. The lodging, the meals, whatever, I will repay you. But he put down a down payment. Type of the Holy Spirit. We get a measure of God in the Spirit. That's an earnest down payment until Christ returns, glorifies these earthly, earthly bodies. So whatever we do in sacrifice regarding to Christ, it will never go unrewarded. Now getting back to Zephaniah. Zephaniah. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness, wasteness. In other words, it's a day of destruction, devastation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Dmitri Dudeman said in the end, the minds of men could not comprehend how bad it will get. Every day draws us a day closer to these prophetic events. This darkness, this gloom, this doom, if you want to be realistic. We're not there yet, but every day we're getting closer to the end. We're getting closer to the goal. We're getting closer to the finish line. We're getting closer to the second advent of Christ. He may come in my lifetime. He may not come in my lifetime. That'll be God's decision. Now, Zephaniah is trying to get you and I to understand how near it is. Zephaniah 1.14, the great day of the Lord is near, it is near. The emphasis is on the closeness of Christ's return. It is near, it is near. This speaks of the certainty. It's like me telling someone, you know, I'll, I'll meet you at uh, 12 o'clock noon at a certain restaurant. And I'm running just a few minutes late, so I, I call or send a text. I'm almost there. I'm almost there. I'm letting them know, don't go anywhere. Don't do anything. I'm near to the meeting. It is near. It is near, says Zephaniah. Not only is it near, but it speaks of the absolute certainty. We're told in 2 Peter 3, 3, knowing this also, that there shall come scoffers in the last day, saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were since the beginning of the creation. We're going to start seeing more scoffers. We see that in the very sense, the very fact that men are turning away from pure, unadulterated truth. If you believe all of the Bible you believe in its entirety. 
You won't say things. You won't do things that are contrary to the word of God. This is why the church is so blind and so deceived, according to the church at Laodicea and Revelation chapter 3. The church says we're rich, we're increased with goods, and we have need of nothing. Jesus says you're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, and you are naked. When you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, that constitutes one becoming a scoffer and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. That's what they're going to say, but that's not true. See, the Bible even tells us the kind of lies that will be told in the end. <laughs> you say, well, the Bible is full of absolute truth. It is so full of truth, it will even display the coming lies. The coming lies. Now, there's a lot of hyperbole that continues to linger like leaven in the body of Christ right now. Somebody sent me an email the other day. If you don't want me to exegete it, critique it, and then criticize it, don't send it to me. But I was critical of what the person said regarding the article. And they always want to put the onus back on you. And he says, well, you missed my whole point. No, you missed the point, sir. The point is, it's going to be some kind of garbage and rhetorical jargon by all of these guys here in the time of the end. You know, last year, we're going to lose the power. We're going to lose the Internet. You know, this is the end. This, 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 it's all over with. People are unable to discern the times and that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. Romans chapter 13, verses 10 and 11. But we're not there yet. We're getting there, but if you stay in the confines of God's word and you are very studious you will see the signs, the signs of the times. The word signs there in the Greek is indicators, indications. You have what we call idiot lights on your dash, engine malfunction, tire pressure is low, alternators not working, low oil pressure. Those are warning signs. There are indicators telling you there's something wrong with your automobile, with your engine. And no, it's not a motor. It is an engine. Engines are combustible. Motors are electric. And I know there will be those who will argue that point. But if you understand combustion, you have a motor in a vacuum cleaner. You have an engine in a car. The point is, people are running around chasing signs, wonders, this new, that new, this new prophecy, that new prophecy, this new dream, that new dream. Start seeking the Lord. Start seeking God. I don't think we understand that many false prophets shall rise in the last days. Do, do you see prophets in Hollywood and Nashville? No, you see prophets in the church. It is a 
one of the fivefold ministry gifts that God has established in the church. And so what, do, what does the devil do? He brings in the fallacy. He brings in the falsehood. He brings in the mendacious. He brings in that to get us off track. Most of you listening to me today, you do not want to be deceived. That's why you're a God chaser. You want to hear the word. You want to hear a pure, unadulterated word. You don't care about fluff and stuff. That's why you struggle to find a church. You, you struggle to find a spirit-filled place to go and worship God. You know, I'd like to have a meeting in September or October, but if the governor does not list uh, uh, or remove the mask mandate, I'm not going to try to do that. Somebody said, well, you can put on a streaming event. I I'm not into that, Okay. Most of that's about making money anyway. I'm in to getting people together in a place of Holy Ghost Spirit-filled worship where they can grow in grace and in knowledge and be edified and be strengthened and receive something from the Lord. That's what this is all about. We are nearing the coming of Christ. But one day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years are as one day. Think of that statement. A thousand years? A thousand years as one day? Yeah, that's what Peter said. 2 Peter 3, verse 8, But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day, is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. So would that be 365,000 days? Don't, don't get distracted. Don't, don't get sidetracked. Just keep pursuing God. Just, just keep desiring to walk with God. Work on your relationship with God. Work on your Bible memorization. Work on your prayer life. Strive, contend, labor vigorously to be in the kingdom of the Most High God. God wants you to get there. God wants you to be there. And it takes effort. I would be remiss if I said, oh, anybody can do this. No, not everyone will do this because they're not willing to deny themselves and take up their cross daily. We, we must deny ourselves. Well, I want this, I want that, I'd like to have this, I'd like to have that. I was told when I was little, son, you're too big for your wants to hurt you. Too big. The point is, focus on the Lord. Take the time to pray. Take the time to get in the Word. Take the time to bathe your spirit in the Word of God. That's what that brazen laver, that big old bowl in the outer court of the Old Testament tabernacle, and it was filled with water. And after the high priest would sacrifice that lamb, that bullock, the turtle dove, the goat, whatever it was, shedding that blood on that altar, 
before they would go into the holy place, they would go by the polished laver and they would wash their hands. And that water typifies the word of God. Ephesians 5 and 26, that it might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word of God. That water was a type of the word. God's word cleanses the souls of men that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Again, Ephesians 5 and 26. Psalms 119, verse 11, verse 9. Wherewith shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. How does my way become cleansed? The psalmist said, you have to take heed to the word of God. When Jesus washed the disciples' feet, that was the word of God. Jesus was the word, is the word, always will be the word. He was cleansing their feet. In other words, where they had walked that day, the contamination of sin, the rudiments and the cares of this world. And, of course, Peter misses the analogy and says, well, wash my head and wash me all over. No, you're missing the point, Peter. When you're in the world, you get dust and dirt. You get contamination on your physical body. When you're in the world, you get contamination in your spirit, your mind, your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions. And when you get in the Word, you you bathe yourself, you wash yourself in that Word. And it cleanses. I love that word, cleanse. I love that word, washed. That's why you see that in the Bible, Revelation 1-5, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Laundered, washed. It's amazing how God cleanses mankind from sin. I hope you're enjoying this. We'll pick it back up tomorrow about the nearness Every day that passes, we're just another day closer to the coming of Christ our Lord. Don't get distracted. Sequester yourself if need be and get into the presence of God. God bless you. I'll see you tomorrow in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The Voice of Evangelism with David Langford is brought to you by the faithful listeners and supporters throughout America. If you're looking for an uncompromising message, we invite you to tune in each week to The Voice of Evangelism. For more information, write to The Voice of Evangelism at P.O. Box 502, Kayser, North Carolina, 28020. That's P.O. Box 502, Kayser, North Carolina, 28020.